she has a quote that I absolutely love. Uh, she says, there are four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. That was my colleague you just heard, Rachel Kennedy, quoting former First Lady Rosalind Carter. If there's four kinds of people in the world, one of them being the very friendliest people, Rachel is definitely in that group. She's our strategic director of cancer caregiver support. And in this conversation, she spoke with my colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer. You're going to hear all about the resources, programs, and services that the American Cancer Society provides to caregivers and their families. So if you're taking care of somebody with cancer or if it cancer diagnosis has recently affected a close friend of yours, family member, please do listen to this episode and check out cancer.org slash caregivers. I want to point you to two resources in particular. One is this interactive caregiver resource guide. It's a very comprehensive online interactive guide, and it's going to help you learn how to care for yourself as a caregiver. That's really important. Um, but it's going to help you understand what your loved one is going through and help you develop skills for coping and caring um, for somebody going through cancer. The other resource is the caregiver support video series that Rachel kind of conceived and created. It answers caregivers' most asked questions and addresses their biggest concerns. It's a series of short videos Topics are things like how to help cancer patients with pain and symptom management and and self-care for caregivers themselves. So I'd encourage you to check that out for sure. Uh, and with that, let's get into this conversation with Rachel Kennedy, the American Cancer Society's Strategic Director of Cancer Caregiver Support, and Dr. Susanna Greer. Good morning, Rachel. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, we are really interested to talk to you about caregiving and you're such an expert in this space. So if you're ready, we're going to dive right in. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I have been at ACS for, this is my 21st year and caregiving has kind of been my passion all along the way um, throughout my career here at ACS. So I was in our research department for 15 years and then I went over to work in our cancer control department where I was able to use, you know, all of the findings that I had found from the National Quality of Life Survey for Caregivers and our studies of cancer survivors to really apply to kind of create some evidence-informed resources specifically for caregivers. And as an organization as old as we are, it's been a fantastic opportunity to be um, leading that effort and to be able to support um, the large group of caregivers that we serve. All right. So you mentioned that you've developed evidence-informed resources and that the American Cancer Society supports a large group of caregivers. But I think for most of our audience, probably we don't have any grasp. I certainly don't of what those numbers are like. I mean, I know most of us have probably played a role in caregiving for someone with cancer, either just by being a friend and dropping off something to try to be helpful during someone's cancer journey, all the way on that spectrum to actually being that one-on-one -on -one caregiver who is 
every day, 24 seven, taking care of a cancer patient. So let's just, let's level set and help our audience understand who, who you are trying to reach. So do you have any idea how many cancer caregivers there are in the United States? You know, it's interesting because we don't truly have a surveillance system yet created to track the number of caregivers. There are national studies that have been conducted through the National Alliance for Caregiving, as well as AARP. They're partners in in, in work, and they have um, they have done some studies that look at caregivers in general, not necessarily cancer caregivers. But I always use kind of as a proxy the data that we do have from our cancer treatment and survivorship facts and figures. And this is a triennial publication. We will begin working on the next version of it um, sometime this fall. But as of January 1st of 2019, there were approximately 17 million cancer survivors alive in the U.S. So I always use this number specifically as a proxy for the number of caregivers that, um, that there are as well. And like you said, not everybody has, um, you know, a, a, a one-on-one primary caregiver. I think the majority of folks out there do. But we also consider folks who are doing the odds and end jobs of, you know, grocery shopping and, and maybe transportation to and from medical appointments. And just that close friend and family member who's coming in and checking in on the patient regularly, we consider those folks caregivers as well. They might just be kind of like that tertiary or caregiver um, a peripheral type of caregiver, but they're still um, a part of that village of care. Oh, I like that, that village mm-hmm. of care. What a what a nice picture that puts in my mind. It's very comforting. So maybe you could help us understand a little bit more about what ha- might happen in that village. So when you think about a caregiver for cancer and everything that a caregiver might do, can you... Can you maybe remind us of what those responsibilities might look like for, and maybe, I think maybe it might, we might be sitting on the side of, and maybe you you can correct me if I'm wrong, but someone who is actually giving that one-on-one support, like if you, if it's your parent who has cancer or a spouse or a child or a a sibling, what would that one-on-one support look like? Gosh, it, There's just so much, but when, you know, when I think of the top things that caregivers are responsible for, they are really the information seekers on how cancer and its treatment impacts the body and also those long-term and late effects of treatment. Um, They provide the emotional support in in managing the patient's kind of anxiety, depression, fear, and anger around uh, cancer and, and its diagnosis. They also share responsibilities in medical decision-making. I think the spousal caregivers, maybe the adult um, children of the patient are primarily the ones who are helping share that uh, that decision-making. They have to navigate financial concerns um, and employment benefits on taking time off to provide longer-term care. Um, They also have to sometimes seek their own respite services, right? Caregivers are so stressed out and they're like, I need a break, but I need to find someone who will give me the break instead of people asserting themselves on and saying, hey, we'll help you out. We'll give you a break. They have to look look out for themselves. Um, and then they also have to maintain their regular day to day, the housework, cooking meals, providing transportation you know, to and from the medical appointments. And they do all of these things while trying to manage their own health and well-being. Right. And And, and maintaining family cohesiveness for folks who have um, small kids at the home. 
um, as well as trying to, you know, manage the cancer treatment um, and post-treatment effects. So there's just a myriad of, of tasks and responsibilities. And I think that the multiple roles that caregivers play um, certainly, certainly impact um, their stress and um, the way that they're, they're able to manage that stress. So the bigger the village, um, the, the better the help, <laughs> really, and, and the less stress there can be. So, Rachel, I mean, that's so interesting, I think, and interesting is not a great word for me to use, overwhelming, impressive, um, shocking in some ways, all the things that you've shared with us that caregivers do. And this isn't a position that anyone signs up for. No one's like, yeah, awesome, I'll be a caregiver. That sounds fantastic. But it's a position we find ourselves in out of necessity. And these really noble people step forward for this role, just like no one is super excited to be a cancer patient, right? It, it is a position we find ourselves in and we enter a new space that none of us are trained for, but we we engage and we begin treatment and we just start on this journey. And I think one of the things that we need is more information, information about what are the challenges that caregivers face, what are some of the more successful caregivers and what have they done along this journey? And then what are places where we could better support caregivers? And so what we need is data. And that's something the American Cancer Society is really outstanding at providing. So that's one of the reasons we were really excited to talk to you today, because you have conducted, you and your colleagues, some really amazing research on caregivers um, through the American Cancer Society. And I, I think our audience would be really interested to learn about how you conducted that research and just to, to understand more about your findings. Awesome, yeah. So um, I worked on uh, the National Quality of Life Survey for Caregivers. And this was a study that um, it we ended data collection in 2010. We collected data for eight years. And it was a longitudinal study, meaning that we followed the exact same group of caregivers for about eight years. So we looked at um, how they adjusted over time um, to the cancer experience to providing care at about two years, five years, and about eight years post-diagnosis. And I had used those findings to help really inform the development of resources. But first, let me tell you about some of the high-level findings from that study. What we found and what we've done um, and, and we've published um, in the literature um, over 40 manuscripts in, uh, from this data collection alone, we continue to publish from it. What we have found is that um, we really profiled the most distressed caregiver. And what we found within that profile mm -hmm. is that the most highly distressed caregiver is the female adult daughter cancer of the cancer patient. Mm. who's also employed outside of the home full-time and also caring for young children simultaneously, you know, while caring for the, pa for the patient. So um, if, you know, everybody have a virtual raise of hand, if that <laughs> describes you at some point in your life, because that has described me. Um, I have cared for both of my parents through various, you know, illnesses, through ICU stints, um, through the hospital, um, while also being full-time employed here at the American Cancer Society and then also caring for a young child. Um, so I have been able to fully relate to that profile of a distressed caregiver. Um, another finding that um, we had was we did um, an unmet needs assessment and we just 
you know, asked a bunch of questions around, do you have needs in these areas? And they, there was a wide range of needs, right? From something that's very simple to the daily tasks at home to the more complicated ones of having to, you know, um, deal with the emotional experience um, of cancer, not only personally, you as a caregiver, but also helping um, the patient do it. And so um, what we found within this unmet needs assessment is that we did a factor analysis and at the end of the day, when those when the data was um, analyzed, we found that those needs really resonated in four different categories. The most common unmet need across all trajectory or of course across all um, time points that we collected this data was that the psychosocial unmet needs. I'll explain a little bit more on that in a sec. The medical unmet needs were the second most common. The third most common were daily activity unmet needs. And then the fourth most common need was financial. So when we dug a little deeper to the top five unmet needs of caregivers, um, you know, really within kind of that psychosocial medical um, factors, we found that caregivers really felt like they needed help um, in assisting the patient with, you know, those common emotional uh, emotional feelings around anger, anxiety, depression, fear of what the cancer has meant to them and what the treatment has meant to them. Um, and then and then caregivers are also struggling a bit psychosocially. They need help with their own anxiety and depression and fear and angst really with um, being a caregiver and um, cancer being kind of this traumatic event and really trying to understand how to cope with it. They have um, struggles with dealing with lifestyle changes. We do know that, you know, folks um, in the caregiving role can feel socially isolated because not mm. too many, you know, people really understand how to connect and they feel kind of stuck at home in that isolated bubble. Another need um, that was expressed is getting information about cancer. And there's just so much out there. Uh, we have such reliable cancer information on cancer.org. We have a fantastic medical editor team. Um, who who work <clears throat> so hard to get you know information that's reliable and and trustworthy. And so it's but sometimes that can be hard to sift through as a caregiver and truly try to distill, you know how to make decisions based on the information. And then um, there's also concerns and uh, about talking about the cancer with the patient. So um the caregivers expressed, you know, these are really those top unmet needs that have been um, really, really, um, something that that caregivers have expressed and have have really struggled with. And as a, a cancer support information organization, um, it's it's been you know something that has truly helped guide and and direct me in the way that I build resources um, to meet caregiver needs. So, Rachel, it's so fascinating to me. Was that surprising to you? Now you are an expert in this space, so. I guess I need you to take off your expert hat and say, is this surprising? Because now that, I mean, when I'm thinking about my friends who I've, I fit this category of being someone who has children at home, parents that you're taking care of. So now that I'm thinking about this, it's not surprising. It's not surprising. It's not surprising. But it is interesting to me and somewhat just kind of a little bit, I don't know, gut-wrenching in a way. And also, I'm just thankful that people were willing to be open and to share because this isn't easy to say, 
I'm struggling in this space, but I also feel like this is a place that we can do some real good. So I guess I'd, what did you think when you began to read this data and see these trends? It's truly heartbreaking, to be honest, Susanna. I, I you know, and it, it isn't surprising. Um, after all, the the stress is that just compounds um, from all of the different factors and the multiple roles that caregivers are playing. I mean, when when you look at the numbers and dig a little deeper, I'm. Mean, 50%, nearly 50% of the caregivers uh, at two years di- at post-diagnosis said that they need help helping their loved one deal with the emotional distress of cancer. That's 50% of the entire sample. We had hmm. 1,635 people complete the baseline survey, the first survey. So it it is, it, you know, and, and even still, you know, nearly a fourth of the sample um, when we surveyed them a couple of years later, we're still experiencing that need. So it really and truly is is just a loud cry for help and why we need to, as an organization and as, you know, a general population, um, focus on mental health awareness and being open and, and willing to discuss our feelings, you know, openly. And I think yeah. having those conversations, um, whether it be with a mental health professional, a friend, just, you know, having open dialogue around how we're coping with things, yeah. you know, is it's critical. It really is. So not only is it a need, it's an unmet need. An unmet need, uh, such an unmet need. But I will tell you um, another finding from this study, you know, and a, a lot of folks, especially in the research world, I've presented many of many times at different conferences and and talked about this data set and and how what we've published and you know a lot of folks really deal with and present on the burden of caregiving because it is stressful it is hard there is this major element of psychosocial distress however there's also a positive benefit to really providing care and it's that post-traumatic growth phenomenon It's the benefit finding phenomenon. Hmm. So, you know, we have this, we present a lot on the negative impacts because that's interventional, right? Well, the positive experience uh, is that caregiving creates meaning and can create meaning in in people's lives, right? It can also help reprioritize relationships and really what's important in life. So if you had a strained relationship with the loved one that you're providing care for um, prior to cancer and even during the cancer experience, but somehow, some way, that traumatic event has helped bond you to, together closer, has helped bring things out in your relationship that otherwise would not have been, you know, able to be discussed because things are timely um, when you're met with a traumatic event. You know, sometimes that can create a whole different perspective. It can create a, a new appreciation for life, a new satisfaction with life and general wellness. So there's also a benefit, there can be benefits to providing care, not just negative impacts. Oh, you're exactly right. So so help us to understand how do we get there, Rachel? Because we're none of this is easy. I mean, cancer is for cancer patients, I think most will say this is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And mm-hmm. I think caregivers would put themselves in that same category. So how do we get from that that space of incredible challenge and difficulty 
to what you just shared with us to this bridge to a new perspective where there can be through through this 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 real this really really tough tough place a new perspective and some good and some satisfaction i mean i know that you've done an incredible amount of work and one of the things that you have you've done is you have developed an American Cancer Society caregiver support program. So I think our listeners would really enjoy learning about that and how to find that. So we'll help Mm -hmm. them with that. But also kind of what maybe you could highlight some of the resources that there are within that program for caregivers. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I love to talk about what we've been able to create based on you know, what these, the study has shown us and how to really meet needs. Um, so the, the caregiver support program was really designed um, to, to really put caregiver needs front and center. Um, you know, a lot of times they are not the charted patient. When they're meeting with the care team for the patient, um, a social worker, maybe a nurse, maybe someone will come in and ask how the caregiver is doing, but the caregiver is never truly the charted patient. So right. they are kind of lost in that, you know, transition of, of care. Um, and so what I really, you know, have been committed to doing since um, 2015 is is really building out um, a support program that makes them feel fully supported and comforted and fully informed, really. So um, the very first resource that I'll mention to you guys today is a caregiver resource guide. Um, this is a comprehensive guide from cover to cover. It's about 130 pages. You can call and get one for free at our call center. You can also download one at cancer.org slash caregiver guide. Um, I'm in the process of having it translated to Spanish, so I'm really excited about that. But this guide is really uh, information. I mean, we we start out with what is a caregiver? What does it mean to be a caregiver? What if I don't want to be in this role? (laughs) What if I have a little bit of resentment, you know, about having to do all of this? um, And how do I get through that? Um, The next section covers things around cancer. So. The very first question in there is, what is cancer? So we boil it down to the cellular piece of how cancer cells develop. We also talk about solid tumor staging. And then we talk about, um, you know, the treatments, uh, uh, cancer treatment, what to expect from side effects uh, and symptoms of treatment, um, how to manage those those treatment side effects as a caregiver. We talk about patient nutrition. Um, Patient nutrition is huge. Because as a caregiver, that's one of our sole responsibilities is how to get some nutrients into the body of someone who does not want food and is nauseated by everything and potentially eliminates everything that enters into their system. So as caregivers, you know, we feel that true responsibility. We talk about caregiver self-care. You got to, you know, you got to keep up with your routine follow-ups, your cancer screenings, how, how your mental health is important. Um, within that, we have a caregiver distress thermometer. Um, and on the interactive cancer.org slash caregiver guide site, you'll see that there's a, an interactive um, distress thermometer in there for you to go through. Um, we, do, we talk about communication as well, not only how to communicate within, you know, within kind of the family 
and how to communicate with other potential caregivers that are helping out, but also how to uh, communicate with the care team. So this guide is, you know, walks you through. It's a huge compendium of information. It's a great resource for caregivers to have. Um, and was truly the first evidence-informed resource that we'd had at ACS. And then, in addition to the guide, um, we have um, a, a caregiver support video series. Um, my partnership with Embracing Cares has been fantastic in, um, in developing this, this series. And, and again, we looked at this in, in the perspective of the caregiver has now left the ongoing surveillance of the cancer care team, you know, within for their for their loved one. So now they come home and they don't know how to drain a Jackson Pratt drain. You know, they don't know right. how to manage the nausea, right, of their loved one. So this series is a chapterized really series from section to section looking at how, you know, the physical care training piece um, of, of providing care. So symptom management, medication management, um, uh, pain control, uh, signs of infection. We have a drain care video that walks you step by step on how to, to drain drains, milk drains. Um, and then we also have that caregiver self-care piece because it's important to make time for yourself even if it's 30 minutes a day. Um, uh, so we, we kind of detail how caregivers can really try to think outside of the box and prioritize their health, even if they feel like their time is constrained. And then we also have a section on uh, advocacy. And, and again, that communication piece where we really detail how to make the most out of the conversation with the care team um, when there's so much to accomplish within potentially a 30 minute or less visit to the doctor. So we just also reshot this entire series in Spanish with native Spanish speaking actors and actresses, which I'm excited because um, we've been able to connect the community, you know, with native speakers. Um, we're hoping to launch that um, this summer. Um, actually, we are launching it this summer. So that'll be um, you will start seeing some uh, some promotion around that. Um, and, you know, not only do we have these two evidence informed resources. Um, but we're also, I feel like our entire access to care platform at the American Cancer Society is also, um, while it was designed for the patient, like our transportation program, our Hope Lodge program, while these were uh, organically designed to help serve the need of a patient, I think that caregivers are also beneficiaries of these um, areas of support because, you know, if you're in a one-car household and your loved one needs to get to you know, treatment or get to a follow-up appointment and you actually have to take the car to work, you can rely on the American Cancer Society to, you know, arrange a, a ride for your loved one to get to those appointments. So that supports you as a caregiver, right? And then our Hope Lodge platform uh, is, is, you know, a, another area where caregivers connect. And um, so many great relationships have formed mm -hmm. there. So, I'm, I'm so excited about these programs. I'm excited to continue to build them out um, with more evidence-based, uh, you know, type of support um, as we as we move forward. Oh, Rachel, these are fantastic. And I guess if I were sitting, if I were at home and I was a caregiver, what this might do for me, I think, would be maybe reduce some of the the stress and the not knowing. Because what, one of the things that you shared was that caregivers are struggling around 
psychosocial issues, and a lot of that comes from just not not knowing the answers to lots of questions. And I think what it sounds like you're providing are tools that caregivers can begin to use, like the resource guide and the videos and the access, like through our, our rides program and through Hope Lodge, that you can access at at your own pace. So you're not mm-hmm. sitting in a doctor's office and frantic and just having this, this gut wrenching conversation where you maybe forget to ask a question and you're sitting with your loved one and everyone's upset. So when you're calm and rational, you could go through the caregiver guide and read the section on what, what if I really don't want to be a caregiver and I feel terrible about that. Mm-hmm. How do Mm -hmm. I work through those emotions? So it sounds like this is a place where caregivers can access information at their own pace and then maybe take that information back to the oncology team and say, hey, okay, now I get it. Now I understand or I have a better handle on X, Y, and Z about this aspect of care, but I have some additional questions. So was that your goal to give um, caregivers a resource to to make them feel more confident because that psychosocial piece, I think comes back to a, just feeling lost and just completely overwhelmed. Absolutely. Completely. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is to empower caregivers to make them feel fully empowered, um, confident in their role as a caregiver. Um, they feel more at ease and less anxiety, less internal struggle, you know, really, that's what a lot of the anxiety is, is just this not knowing. And uh, so having this, it's really kind of a suite of tools to just mm-hmm. tap into, you know, it's like, you know, I really want this to feel like they're wrapped up in like the most comfortable bed they've ever been in, you know, with those mm-hmm. high quality sheets <laughs> and they can just get in there and feel like this is my safe place. I find safety and in information or I find comfort in information. And I find like, this is helping me as a caregiver, um, better able to solve, you know, these hard problems that we, we're up against, yeah. or I feel more prepared to to accomplish this next phase, whether it's remission or cancer recurrence, mm. you know, or just ongoing treatment into end of life, you know, or feeling like um, I have confidence in in each decision that I make. So um, yes, to your point, absolutely. I think these um, this is an entire toolkit to help really empower caregivers. And as you said, you'll keep building it um, and growing it. I, I think it's. Ah, just what a great resource. And we'll certainly put all of these access points in the show notes. But I do, before I let you go, I want to ask you about this last year because I I, I can't imagine the, the stress and challenges that COVID placed on caregivers and cancer patients. So how did you flex and change your resources for caregivers to meet them where they were during the pandemic? Whew, it was intense. I mean, this crisis created just widespread disruption, right, across the world. I mean, it not even just, um, not even in our small little bubble of yeah. just the American Cancer Society. It was the entire world. I mean, it triggered massive relocation of 
all employees to home and then the tremendous stress on those without that option, right? And then financial issues and then the emotional fallout of social distancing at the beginning. And I mean, all of this really increased caregiver burden and intensified, you know, really the need and, and true greater appreciation for caregivers alone. I mean, I think, you know, I'm telling you, the word <laughs> caregiving and caregiver alone, I think those were two very, very commonly used terms in all news outlets because COVID created a scenario where you had to start thinking about a caregiver, right? Hmm. So yeah. now the world was like, our caregivers, what do we do with caregiving and caregiving? So you see it on the CDC website, you know, you see it all across ours. And so I think what we did, the most commonly used term, we all pivoted, right? <laughs> so we, mm -hmm. we did the pivot and we pivoted to a place of being able to use our echo platform um, to help inform, you know, the general audiences out there and other kind of healthcare practitioners around caregiving um, and, and specifically within cancer patients and COVID. And so um, if you guys are interested in hearing some of those earlier um, recordings um, from last spring, you can go to echo, echo.cancer.org. Um, those are there. You can listen in on those. And then we also um, worked with NCCN um, and did another um, three series of those. So nccn.org, if you wanted to go and, and search there for the caregiving and COVID, um, I led three more of those um, echoes that were kind of end of last summer, early fall, and they were great. We had some we had some fantastic co-presenters on those that really talked about you know um, being being truly in the present with with caregivers, speaking of, on feelings again, the mental health piece of it. Um, we talked about those hard decisions. Um, that that folks were having to make. But, mm. you know, I feel like what a difference a year has made. You know, here we are sitting um, a little on the other side of 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 it. I mean, clearly we're not fully there, um, but we're we're leaps and bounds where we thought we would be, you know, last summer going through the thick of it. And I just know that caregiving, the position itself was so propped up over the last year. Um, and I truly, truly feel that there's an appreciation for um, for the role of a caregiver now. And so um, it's just been it's it's been um, such an interesting year, I'll say. But I do think that we, we've created some excellent resources for for folks to to look back at if, if you're interested. Yeah, you absolutely have, Rachel. And I think there have been some unexpected silver linings to COVID and the appreciation for mental health and for caregivers and the hard decisions they make and our degree of empathy for caregivers is certainly one. So thank you for the work you've done. I think I, I wanna ask you one last question before we let you go. And that is what advice do you have for, for our listeners who maybe have been caregivers for the long haul, or maybe yesterday they found out that they are newly they are newly going to be entering the role of being a caregiver for a cancer patient. How can they best support themselves and um, the cancer the cancer patients that they love? You know, great question. I do think that the biggest thing as caregivers that we forget about 
is taking care of ourselves because we don't have time or we feel guilty about doing it. So I would say make a priority, make a reminder in our phone, make it block out time on our calendar during the day and take 30 minutes. Even if it's just doing something that is as simple as looking at bloopers videos on YouTube because they make you laugh, you know, having some quiet time to read and, you know, sip on a cup of coffee. Uh, even if, you know, if it's meditating, 30 minutes alone, something to refresh your brain, to give you energy, recharge. Of course, it goes without saying that I think the, the best time well spent within that 30 minutes would be to get just some physical activity in there. Um, that would make a, a, a huge amount of difference because the more energy you have, um, the better you'll be able to provide care. I will also say that as a culture and as a society in general, we do not assert ourselves onto people as much as we should. So I am really interested in us as a general population asserting ourselves, right? So saying, hey, on Tuesday, I'm headed to the supermarket. Send me your grocery list and I'll pick them up for you. Hey, I'm doing the lawn today. I'm, I'm weeding the garden. I'll come by and weed your flower beds. So asserting ourselves on, you know, to, to help folks instead of waiting around for people to ask us for help. Because you know what we all say, the common courtesy is, let me know if you need anything, I'm here for you. You know, and that's just what we do. We just, that's the common courtesy. Let me know if you need anything, thoughts and prayers, you know. But as we assert, as we learn to assert ourselves onto folks and say, somebody's coming to clean my house tomorrow, I'm paying her an extra hundred bucks to come clean yours. You know, I mean, actually just just going ahead and saying what you're going to do. That's the way we can support caregivers best. And I want to end by sharing this quote that I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite quotes. I have it in my office. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Don't know if you know her. <laughs> she um, she was has been amazing in the role of caregiving. She and her husband, um, former President Jimmy Carter, um, have just been such supporters of caregiving. And she has a caregiving institute here in Georgia. Um, she has a quote that I absolutely love. Uh, she says, there are four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. And I think that's a perfect way to end our chat. Oh, Rachel, I love that. Thank you so much. It brings it full circle that no matter who we are, where we are right now, caregiving will impact us. So thank you. That was lovely. And I can't I can't wait to see the next resources that you bring forward. Thank you so much for all you do for the American Cancer Society, for our patients, and most of all, for our caregivers. My pleasure. Thank you.